This podcast of the RC is proudly brought to you by SideFX Software, creators of Houdini, procedural node-based 3D animation and visual effects tools for the film, television, and gaming industries. You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. So look, this week on the show, we're going to be covering ARRI, the SciTech Oscars, uh, RED, Nikon, Canon, and Sony. We're covering basically all the major cameras uh, as we spread the love around and discuss both what's coming and what has been and sit down and have an in-depth kind of chat uh, I guess a sort of a state of the nation uh, with Ted Schlowitz from the Red Camera Company. This and more here on the FX uh, podcast here at FX Guide. Look, we see our role here at the FX podcast is to mine the news and filter the blogs and, yes, um, go into some serious discussions every once in a while. This is camera tech that we're discussing about, obsessing about, arguing about, rat-holing about, and above all, trying to be the signal, not the noise. <laughs> yep, so this is the conversation that Jason and I are having, and we basically want you to be a part of it, and that's what the RC Podcast is all about. So, Jason, how has your week been, sir? Uh, busy, good. Been wrapping up a fairly long-winded job, two or three weeks, shooting around the world and around Australia, and uh, getting it all, getting something like 25 hours of footage with from five cameras distilled down into 45 seconds. And then also make people actually thank me for it, and uh, which they did. Be happy that, which they did. Yes, they're very happy. Um, I'll probably tweet about it later on once I know, once I officially can sort of say what it is. Nothing. Um, but you were shooting, reinvented the wheel or anything? You're shooting around the world. Uh, yeah, oh, around the world: Scotland, Yorkshire, London, Amsterdam. I'd call that around the world. Tamworth. Um, Tamworth. <laughs> Tamworth, Perth, Sydney. I should say that uh, one of the reasons we didn't have a podcast last week is that I was sick, and the week before that, I was in the US uh, at the SciTech Awards and the VES Awards, and uh, also at the ASC Clubhouse uh, in LA, which was I was great. jealous of all of those things, particularly the ASC Clubhouse. I really would love to go. So that was like an open house or something, wasn't it? Yeah, so what happened is on uh, the Saturday, uh, which was right before the SciTech Oscars and the awards for cinematography from the ASC... Uh, they had an open house and they had, imagine um, uh, like a garden party kind of thing because the house is an old house that was bequeathed to the uh, ASC years ago. So it's a gorgeous house, but mm. it is actually just around the black, the back of Man's Chinese Theatre. So, you know, the classic oh, really? Hollywood. Oh, really? Is it? Okay, yeah. I didn't You'd, know that's It's like it was. one block back from that. Oh, it's okay. right behind the Kodak Theatre. And, um, yeah, well, the theatre the theater formerly known totally as formerly Kodak. Known as Kodak. So, and... Yeah. Um, Yes, that's right behind that. And we, uh, I say we, Jeff, uh, here's a John Montgomery and myself went. We literally walked through all of those people busking outside the front of the, uh, um, yeah, the Kodak Darth Theater. Vader's yeah, the and Darth Vader. Actually, the guy that was Iron Man was particularly good. Really? Yeah. Anyway, and so we go around, and then there's a, a full block back from that road is the clubhouse, which got gardens. It's really nice. It's completely now built up around but uh yeah it's a you know single or two-story house looks like a house and inside is a terrific um i'll send you i'll post pictures so is it really just it's just like a it's just a get together meet and greet kind mm-hmm. of open house there were some thing? stalls outside selling some things like dvds or uh you know asc a- type a- stuff asc store stuff yeah. yeah uh 
Yeah, I'm going to say ASC and ACS interchangeably because I'm so used to the Australian Society of Cinematographers and the American Society yes. of Cinematographers yeah, I'm, having I'm sure I've done clashing it or we'll letters. Do it. But mm. I'm referring, of course, to the American Society of Cinematographers. And, um, yeah, and then there were a lot of DOPs there and quite a few um, what you might call post people that were on the camera side of things. So some very interesting discussions there. One of them, actually, um, to completely go into our first rat hole straight out of the gate, is uh, with some Canon guys. Now, I can't quote you which Canon people they were because under official Canon policy, as I was advised, um, they can't officially speak as as a, an individual. But I will say they, they told you, but then they also got their men in black little flasher out. Sprayed and, it, yeah. No, yeah. literally these very senior people inside Canon who were there... But they just said, if I'm going to quote them, I can't quote them directly, just speak in general terms. What we had was a discussion about that thing that I published uh, to do with the 5D and the idea that the noise floor was raised up, um, or rather the noise floor was what it was, but by raising the level up a bit, you avoided the average uh, of the noise, contributing to the noise, especially in low light conditions, which was something that I'd published on FX PhD's blog, and I'm almost 100% sure I mentioned on this show. Right. And uh, since then, actually, uh, some various people, some prominent friends of this podcast have actually emailed me, so they personally don't necessarily think that I'm technically wrong, but it would take a bit more than that to convince them to give up those uh, few steps of their 256 um, stages of uh, gradation in terms of quantization. And so they would still be willing to go. But, you know, in my piece that's on FX. And you can look it up. It's on FX PhD. I basically, I was kind of reacting, I think, mainly Jace, to to some stuff slamming Technicolor. And I thought it was over-the-top slamming Technicolor. Um, I thought it was both egregiously sensationalist and also kind of not really painting a super accurate picture. Um, well, I'm yeah, sure. it's called squeezing the most out of your 5D or Alexa signal. Right. Um, and... I don't know if we, but I'm going to plug it anyway, if we talked about this on that podcast, because also a few weeks ago we spoke, but it probably wasn't. But John Montgomery also published a great thing there on using Thunderbolt devices in the same place. This is all on FXPHD um, oh, yeah. slash blog. And this is not inside the paywall. This is all uh, freely available. And this was the camera rig that I was using. So when we were in America on that trip, I was shooting obviously on the Epic. Yep. And I was using the um, Echo Express Card 34, the Thunderbolt adapter, the uh, new little um, Thunderbolt drive because remember you so this is a story on on a bit of that backstory on your workflow particularly for yeah. that trip yeah absolutely okay. because you were complaining if you remember that we didn't have any Thunderbolt devices and then I said pretty much on the RC that John Montgomery was coming out with a bunch of new kit and we would be testing it and then someone posted saying hey on the RC you never got back to discussing the evaluation of that test so I've now segued I'm into my rat hole of a rat hole yeah 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 and, and I'll, I'll, in a minute I'll see your rat hole and raise it again but okay the, and I'm now discussing Thunderbolt devices but well obviously but, people should go and look at this story but um but what we did in that second anyway. story in that second story which is the um what we published in, instead of just talking about it on the RC is our results from running the uh, Red Mag through a eSATA connection to a Thunderbolt converter and then plugging that into a Thunderbolt I was wondering how drive. that was going to work because I'd heard a fair few people having real issues. That's that fairly new-ish Sonnet. Yep. Uh, the uh, Express Card, 3-4 three, four, yep. three quarter, three, four ex, quarter Express Card 
adapter for to Thunderbolt. No. No, no, it's Esada. Esada, yeah, Esada Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? Having is issues with that. A few people were having issues with that uh, early version of um, firmware or um, drivers for that on Mac for for that adapter. Okay, so what happened is that we got that stuff. We were going to evaluate it for the RC podcast that you're listening to now, but it proved to be a more complicated thing that is easily digestible here in audio form because it comes down to what are you comparing it to, right? And read-write speeds and, and everything else. So right. the, the short version of it is that this allows us to work two and a half times faster than we worked before. And I've got to say, for you, this is the perfect solution um, because you've got a Thunderbolt-compatible Mac, haven't you? I do. Yeah, so this is absolutely perfect yep. for you. I right? don't have a three-quarter express slot because I'm not going to drag around a 17-inch laptop. I don't have that express Correct. slot on this. So you take this little cigarette box that goes in... Um, has a like a, a another card that sits in the cigarette box, and yep. that little card that plugs in is where the problem is. When I say the problem, the reason people don't like it is the way that that uh, thing that would go into your seventeen inch, but actually goes into this um, converter box, yes. sits in there is is fine if you do not touch it, but it's <laughs> spring loaded. So literally, if you pick it up mid transfer, it would spring load and pop out. Right. And even if you go to check whether it's plugged in, probably let's say you've got it working and you go, hey, is that the new thing? Yep. Is that plugged don't in Don't touch properly? it, Adam. Oh, and if you touch it to make sure that it's pushed in fully, yeah. it ejects. Yeah, I'll just check it's firm. Have oh, you ever shit. done that with your, with your, like, I don't know, your plug on the side of your Mac? You kind of push it towards your Mac to just make sure it's fully in. Yeah, and then... If you do out. that, it pops out. It's a spring-loaded pop-out. Now, so that sucks, and I'm sure mm-hmm. someone will change it. Yep. But here's the thing, and I was shooting a lot of Epic in the States. We shot mm, 20 pieces while I was there with uh, Jason Diamond, great guy, who came and shot with us. We would set this up with the laptop uh, and the other part of this equation, which we haven't really discussed so far, which is this portable Thunderbolt drive, which is my favorite thing in the world right now and uh that the c right let's mm-hmm. thunder little big disc. little big one terabyte well it's raid yeah it's raid if you choose to make it that way kind of thing anyway so what we did is we set that up and then we would stick in our ssd in our case 128 gig card and we would copy the information which would go from the red mag reader yep. eSATA convert to Thunderbolt into a Thunderbolt drive and we would back it up on the Thunderbolt. Now, we would then plug in a FireWire 800 also to the Mac and overnight or whatever, we would duplicate what was on the Thunderbolt to another... In our case, because we had to send the information via SohoNet, we didn't want to turn up with a Thunderbolt drive at SohoNet because we were worried they wouldn't have a Thunderbolt reader, so we went to put on an 800. Um, But similarly, I could have a, I don't know, a 5D card reader in my 800 slot pulling off stuff from a 5d card doesn't yep. affect any of that if you were to have another thunderbolt drive you could of course double back up to it but in my case we were only had one thunderbolt drive and uh of course the second drive as i say was was uh, 800 but the principal operation of copying from the ssd to the thunderbolt drive yeah short version it's two and a half times faster than what i was previously doing but now before i say any more than that i'm just going to say but there's a much more detailed breakdown of all of this on the site. So yeah. John Montgomery's listed time it takes to copy things with and without um, error checking, with and without um, you know verification. And also he's done some other stuff. Like he said, okay, well, what if you were transferring like this and like that? And answered right, a, a few huge other case studies on different ways of working. Because it's the whole data management thing 
is with some it's okay if you've got larger crews or you're not uh, not running gunning or you you know you've got at least a couple of people with you but some stuff in particular what I just where I just traveled I was ready I had the the epic everything ready to go and then just sort of kind of did the math and it was really just going to be me and a producer and I was going to be shooting he was going to be doing sort of or at least checking my sound and I was going to be doing my own DITing and literally we we're going to be in the ground on the ground in each place for maybe 20 hours or so and not really enough time to sort of scratch yourself uh, so doing my own data on terabytes of SSD epic epic files versus CF cards I can you know know that I can copy in the lounge fairly quickly you can tell which you can tell which way this is heading so if there was a more if I can nail a bit more of a more elegant time friendly less fussy setup then I'll be more inclined to take the epic to more shoots okay so what you want to make this less fussy is you want uh, red to come out with a SSD reader with Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. Yeah. Yes. Okay, but 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 in the world of right now versus rumors or yes, in this, possible in this or, world, Gandalf. Yeah. This is working now and this is what I was using. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I'm sure yeah. that you would a be a little bit fiddly, isn't it? So you've got this adapt Thunderbolt adapter which comes out of your Mac, you plug into the I guess it loops through Thunderbolt so that you can put yeah, your you, drives into it. Yeah, you basically go you go Mac, yep. Thunderbolt Drive, yep. Thunderbolt Drive to your red card reader. Yep. It's just that between the red card reader and the Thunderbolt, there's an adapter that is two two bits. Yeah, and you've got to go to eSATA. You're doing well, you know, eSATA to the card reader. And then and the card reader, it need its own, needs its own plug pack. No, it doesn't. Uh, oh, wait, does it? Uh, On eSATA, it does. Firewire 800 yes. doesn't. Yes, that's right. In this case, it does. Yeah. But It'd be nice to have a Firewire... But here's another a- thing we did. We actually... Okay, so this would be tricky. We actually ran the red drive, pulling power, plugging in a Firewire 800 cable to it. That powered it. Does that make sense? But we didn't right. use the Firewire 800 cable to transfer any data. So you had ESATA and Firewire 800 plugged into it. And that fed the power. And that yeah. doesn't, it doesn't go, oh my shit, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. No, it just, just says, oh, this is faster, just, I'll use that. That's faster, I'll use that. And it lets the uh, Firewire 800 be, be bus power. I'm 99% sure mm. I'm right in saying that. Interesting, interesting. Because it's always the thing is just also having power and having power that, that, that is good, that is going to, you know, having a plug pack for us is something that you know you can do in in, in seat 22B. Um, yeah, well, in 22B, that's a big problem, right? Yeah. Because you yeah. are going to have to have some external power. I did have external yeah. power running into the Thunderbolt drive, I'm going to say now. Um, yeah, because it needs a plug pack, doesn't it? It's not going to yeah. be bus power. It That's the weird thing with all this. It's meant to be power, and there is power. Comes part of the Thunderbolt, you know, protocol is that there is power there, right? But no one seems to be making any use, or no one seems to be able to power any devices through it. I mean, this is different because you're everything talking, you're, you're saying, talking about a raid. Look, right? everything you're saying is true, and if we just were having shut up because it doesn't exist. So just, just well, no, I'm just, just saying like at an at a intellectual level, you can bitch and moan about stuff. All I know is, and I do. No, but all I know is that on this trip... No, no, no I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you're burning and I'm just saying that, like, it made a big difference to me. Like, I understand that this is only a, a halfway step. Yeah. But that halfway step was so appreciated. 
Yeah. Do you know, what I mean? I'm not saying that the it, difference is, from Firewire 800 to this. Yeah, is like is instead of something taking an hour to transfer, it would take you know 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, right? yeah. And twenty minutes clearing a card seemed to be much yeah. more because you know three cards you're out in an hour versus yeah. three hours. Because the and only thing that stops me is the data thing. Is makes the, the 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 final deal killer as to which pelican I grab to go out the door. Yeah, is is a data. How much do I have someone with me to manage it or not? I know it's you know it sounds like a real cheap ninety percent of the jobs you know proper bigger TVCs you're going to have someone to manage it fine doesn't really matter but there's a lot of stuff and it's heading that way at least for me and in this country more and more jobs you 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 know your data is falling on people who have other stuff to do apart from it's not them that is not their name on the call sheet it doesn't say data it also says a whole bunch of other three or four other jobs so yeah anyway I'll. I'll, 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 I'll go have a read. No, well, you're absolutely right. And I welcome, right. I mean, I, I and I completely... welcome more Thunderbolt um, yeah. stuff. I welcome more faster options for data. And so this was only two, this was two terabytes, right? You had the two terabytes mm-hmm. one, which is rated. Yep. So you can make it a really fast or far. Well, what's the point of doing the rate? You just do raid. You just do. I didn't. I, I, just do I did it because backup, I immediately backed Backup raid, it up. not yeah. scary fast raid. Yeah. I did it uh, to a just, second drive. Just give me, just give me. Two because I'm quite happy at the end of the day to, or let's say I'm going out to dinner. I'm quite happy to sit there and say, I've transferred all these files, yes. and now I'm on the Thunderbolt. Now I'm going to go out to dinner, and I'm going to be out for dinner for a few hours. So yeah, make a full backup as a single button press to a FireWire 800 mm. drive. What I have a problem with is you can't do that when you've got to load cards all the time. Because yeah. if you've got to load a card every hour, you yeah. can't go out to dinner because you just get one card down. And then you need to be there for the next card and the next card and the next card. I know. Card. It's this, plus, you have this thing that I want to, I don't really want to go out. I don't want to leave my stuff in my room unless I'm walking out with a drive that I can, at the dinner table, I can hand that rushes to producer, whoever, my assistant or whatever, and say, it's now in more than one place. Well, in my case, I would happily, at the end of a night, like we were shooting at the SciTech Oscars or whatever it was. Mm. At the end of the night, I was happy to crash, having copied all the cards successfully to the Thunderbolt. Yeah. They're still, the last cards are still valid because I haven't reformatted them yet. Yeah. So they're in two places. And then I would literally initiate a full copy to the FireWire 800 and go to sleep. I'd wake up in the morning and the FireWire 800 was completed and done. Yeah. And I had the cards and I had the Thunderbolt. And then I would happily clean the cards, give that second Thunderbolt to SohoNet, and, and I was away. Yeah, so upshot is we really want more Thunderbolt stuff. We want to make it simpler and easier and not have to have five things and ten cables and 15 points of failure and two plug packs. And uh, No, and I do understand that, and I don't mean to in any yeah. way No, I'm just trying that, to wrap this up with some kind of... But this at least list. works and makes stuff a lot faster until you get everything else that you want. Yeah, okay. So you use this little, let's see, little big disc, and it's not horrible. It doesn't run at 5,000 degrees, glow white hot, a thousand burning Correct. suns. It doesn't no. sound like a, someone's testing uh, an, uh, an A380 engine quiet. in your hotel room. And, but uh, I totally I was, would not uh, recommend moving the... I'm just s- dubious about, let's see, because, you know, their shit is usually, like, jet engine noisy. Nope. and nope, not uh, at all. And, yeah. It's not jet and noisy. And also, you know, I've got a Firewire, I'm sorry, a Thunderbolt proper 
four disc RAID system on my desk. Yeah. So when I got back to the office, copying all the Thunderbolt stuff from Thunderbolt to Thunderbolt on my desk mm. was just a breeze because yeah. it's just humbles it. Yeah, yeah. Well, pe- yeah, we're going to have to get a bit more Thunderbolt stuff happening. I just wish people would sort of hurry up. I'm sure at one time, come, come, in, come NEB, all the stuff that was launched at either, that we saw at last NEB might actually be on the shelf. It would be really nice if the stuff we saw, everyone flaunted last April might actually be uh, purchasable in, 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 in less than a year's time after that. I don't know what the hold-up's been, but it's it's really, really painful. As, you know, data and our data needs and what we shoot has grown and grown and grown, but the technology, at least on the Mac side, has just not kept up, and we're sort of stuck in this... Uh, stuck in this hole and I, I hate having to make cho- I hate having to make creative choices based on the realities of, 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 of this stuff and you know I'm, I welcome the day when I mean you'll always be paying catch up doesn't matter I guess cameras are always going to be pumping out more data than we can handle but anyway so anyway I'll put a link to that in the, the show notes and uh, um, did you want to raise me a rat hole or should we get back to the news uh, well, that was kind of my rat hole about data and making choices of, you know, that was, that was kind of my rat hole with a rat hole. Okay. We haven't really touched on the news yet. We were going to talk we, about... Should we go to the news desk? <laughs> okay. And now, the RC News. So, uh, NAB is coming up. Yeah. There's a party. I'm going to put that as a top story on the news. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Sunday, 6 p.m., uh, the Red User Party, powered by LightIron, which is yeah, so they're nice spon- of them. They're sponsored. Yeah, that's terrific. They're sponsoring that, um, which is terrific. So that, uh, I think, of details of this is still yet to come. But uh, So there's no real, I don't think there's any real list you can get on to say, yes, I'm going to be there. But I think it's going to be pretty big uh, because uh, as, as an adjunct to that and also another item on the news is... Uh, LightEye and Red User have launched the 4K portrait competition, which is kind now, of linked that, with that. Because I kind of missed that. Yeah, well, I'm still... Uh, a few people are still reasonably grey about what this means, and I'm starting to get a better idea of what it is. Basically, uh, calling it a competition is maybe a little bit sort of misleading. It's, an, it's the opportunity to, for Red Users to shoot uh, content to display they're going to I guess part of the red user party for LightEye will be uh, 4K showcasing 4K content uh, there's a mention of this, your chance to get in front of a thousand people so perhaps that's the kind of numbers we're talking at this party should be reasonably big but uh, the idea is that there will, there will be some kind of showcasing method or, or uh, way of screening uh, 4K in multitude there so it's Somehow your ability to of screening 4K at the event. Yes. Can the I read something into that? Can I read something into that? The party event theme is the world in 4K. So it's kind of like the, the word portrait is again is a little bit misleading because I originally thought oh well it's going to be just you know nice moving images of you know of people you know portraiture work but really it's it can be, I guess, a little mini documentary, but the idea is that there's no dialogue or, or any real sync sound. So that means they may end up taking the imagery and uh, putting their own soundtrack over it and creating this sort of world world in one reel uh, kind of thing. But it has so, to be edited on Premiere and yes, you have to I include your Premiere project file. Yes, it's... Um, 
no more than four there's minutes. obviously a, 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 a an adobe content uh, a component to this or adobe co-sponsoring or so because it has to be one of the uh, rules is it can be shot on red one epic or scarlet but it needs to be edited on uh, premiere pro and you do have to submit your project file to, as a you know uh, to legitimize your your entry maximum length of four minutes including credits no dialogue no sync sound um i think they really mean no dialogue no no spoken word and really should uh, highlight how good 4k imagery can be or have imagery that sort of you know highlights um quality of of the 4k image uh you need to have copyright obviously of your music and and it needs to be g-rated so yeah there's no real well as far as i know there's no real sort of prizes apart from the fact that you do get to showcase your work at at the party now this has to be submitted by exactly a month from today which i think is the 23rd of march right so if you are um thinking about doing this for nab don't think about the nab deadline which is the beginning of april think about three two-thirds of the way through um the month of march yeah and jim himself uh will be judging yeah so uh, if you follow the thread on uh, uh the show notes there's this um Michael Cioni himself has put a couple of they put a couple of links up and people are starting to put a few links up to say is this the kind of thing everyone's trying to get an idea of what we're really talking about but it can be just an interesting visual a visual documentary or highlighting a particular activity or a person or something that uh it's it's not just people you know the portraiture looking into the into the lens here we're dealing with um a portrait of a particular um it could be it could be time lapse it could be you know a mini documentary with no dialogue so it's fairly open they don't want everyone to get too hung up on on what the content of this is as long as you sort of get within the boundaries and make 4k be the hero my suggestion put humans in it my my guess is that this will come off a red ray through a new red projector. Yeah, through. It would be lovely to know. It would be really good to see the fact that this is going to be the red, you know, we're going to start to see the red laser. There has been a couple of things from Jim about the red, this red laser projector. Uh, well, a couple of things. The main thing is there's been a mention of a ballpark of price. It's around about 10K, and this is more aimed at... Um, professional like a grading installation grading installation or uh, more of a corporate installation high-end home or at that price it's gonna be very high-end home or <laughs> uh, or color reference color grading which was an interesting comment i thought that's uh, anything projection i don't know if the really, you know i wouldn't have called that necessarily grading but you know client 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 or corporate high end high end monitoring really, but sort of ten k or ten k or thereabouts for for this system. We still don't really know what you know what is what what that really you get for your money. But well, uh, I mean that's obviously you know NAB pretty, stuff, isn't it? Really, pretty much. I'm ex- I'm 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 imagining it's going to be OLED good. You know the kind of the the the. Mm-hmm. Impressiveness of it'd be the projection, the projection, um, what OLED is to monitoring that this will be for projection, right? I reckon. 
the closest to a reference signal. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we shall see. If you want to see what uh, Spider-Man's going to look like, hopefully you got over to one of the... Um, there were some interesting screenings of, like, effectively a reel of Spider-Man. Um, I didn't get there. Ian in our office did. Uh, I was invited to one, but I was... Um, hooked up with the VS Awards or something. Yeah. Um, but he said it looked really good, uh, which is, of course, you know, shot in stereo. Yeah, um, July July 3. So we won't be seeing it this side of NAB, but uh, July July 3 is... But I wonder if they're going to have any of that footage to show at NAB because they've already had this uh, screening to sort of yeah. press and people that... Kind of out there. Kind of got there. Mm, so mm. it'd be good if they could show a bit of that at... Uh, at NAB, Along. certainly in stereo would be great. I mean, uh, uh, substantial, of course. It's it's you know this is a high end graphic novel film, so a substantial amount of the trailer is, you could say, is CGI. But there's a lot of a lot of the other imagery there to give an idea. It's yeah, looks good. So let's keep moving on from the Please. red. Is there anything else in the red camp you want to talk about? Because I was going to move on to the, we've got stuff coming up for Sony, Nikon, and um, Harry. I think that's. <clears throat> much ever read. Well, let's move on to Sony. Oh, no, I've got one more. Oh, Epic, Epic being out of back order. Okay. Is it? Well, it kind of is. Okay. And I think part of We're still people's, on side part of people's I say inverted commas, confusion with this uh, comment that the Epic is finally out of back order is that people are going, well, hang on, I'm on, I'm on stage three. I'm on stage 3.5 with my camera. That is a completely different stream. That's a completely different uh, bunch of people and... and um, conveyor belt I guess at red because three stage three is you start to send in your red one in exchange for that so part of that process is you've got to get your camera to to red they yep. have to check it out and you know then eventually then you'll get your you get your epic after that so really epic out of back, back order means two things it means everybody in stage two has finally got should have their body or have said yes or no shit or get off the pot they've basically had their camera delivered to them uh, and it also means that you can go to Red Store and click on an Epic, and it's not back ordered. And in, you know, in the fullness of time, I'm sure through uh, just the process of, of money and FedEx, you will you will see a camera, and you won't be uh, just sitting and waiting for it. Sure. Well, I have a chat to Ted, as we said at the opening, coming up um, later in the show. But in, in, just to be clear, this doesn't mean every single part is out of back order because there obviously are parts in back order. I think that was all the other issue that yeah, people were saying, well, hang on, great, the cameras are in back order, but there's a lot of other stuff still back ordered, or a lot of the you know, a lot of the accessories. A lot of stuff is slowly coming out of back order. It's getting there, and they are working on it. But uh, yeah, certainly in terms of epics, which was you know for a while a, a serious, you know, there was a serious back order there and a wait. But uh, it's still, nonetheless, a, a good milestone that these cameras, you can literally just go put your money down and at least get a body. Yeah. So uh, let's move to Sony, shall we? Okay. And Sony, um, I've, I've been a big fan of the F3. I think it's a really good little camera. Yeah, it's really um, evolved really well. It's a lot of, been a few. But if we did have a bitch about it, Jace, it was the S-Log upgrade, which seemed to be something that they should have either said there was going to be free or pretty much a nominal price and it was going to be what four grand or something oh it's going to be about i think it well that three grand yeah three grand yeah i think uh maybe three eight or so um this was i think obviously pressure from uh canon c300 
Um, there's and it's a very different deal depending on your region. I can only tell us about what USA is doing and what Australia is doing. Okay. Uh, and these are, I'm not sure whether they'll. I, I would be nice to see this stuff extending, but for the moment, I think end of March is when these particular things run out. But if you buy in the states the uh, S log upgrade, and we should probably in a moment just back up to what that actually what that actual piece of technology is going to mean for you. But it was three eight. Uh, three thousand eight hundred bucks for essentially is a software upgrade, uh, which would have come on a S by S card, which in itself is not not cheap. Uh, that's now eight ninety nine, but because it's now to keep the price down, and so it's now not coming on an S by S card, you have to take your camera to uh, a US service center to have it upgraded, okay. and. So for people who might have bought on B&H, that's a bit of a pain. If you bought internationally, you're going to have to return your camera to, to the States to get it done. Um, and sorry, sorry, just I just read a typo in the show Yes, notes. no, I know. Yes, that's correct. That's not right. You um, don't have to send your Sony to Canon for, for that. Okay, <laughs> but in Australia, that's coming free if I buy a new camera, right? Yeah, if you buy the camera until the end of March, buy an F3, you get this S-Log upgrade. It should come through free with the camera. And if you already own the camera, you can get the upgrade for $900. And I don't think you need to go to a service center. I think it's it's, it's a little bit less. You don't have to obviously send it into the States. It can be it can be all, all handled here. I don't have bucks. a problem with taking a camera of this level to a service center to get an upgrade that's this useful. No, because they have a service center here, unlike some other manufacturers okay <laughs> so c300 uh where i think this is significant is c300 is always the highest it'll always be it'll always be a 422 camera now as i say this sort of stuff i fully realize that i'm partly speaking out of my ass because i really you know this is all still a slow long slow education this podcast thing that i do and i'm gradually dawning on me what all this means but uh, C300 is a 422 camera. It always will ever be, depending regardless of where you, um, how you get your signal, whether you're spitting it out through SDI, uh, it's always going to be 8-bit 422. Now, the F3, correct me if I'm wrong, I think if you have the S-Log, you get 10-bit 422 out of the SDI, and it also enables the fact that you can, through dual-link SDI, Yep. If you have an outboard recorder, you will get 444. I will say that I remember testing 444 and 422 from Telecine to my flame back in the day. Yeah. I couldn't tell the difference on a broadcast monitor. Mm. Now, that was an uncompressed signal, but what I'm just saying is that the difference between 422 and 444, I had to sort of check the cables to know I was getting 444 um, because it was still... There's two things that were going on here. There's 444 and then there's the S-Log. So 444 isn't anything other than running a signal that has the uh, chrominance and subsampling kind of equalized out. The S-log is what you actually want, which is then providing the signal in a, in a better form for allowing later grading. And so in a sense, obviously they come together in this mm. particular case, but what I'm paying for, what I'm wanting, why I would want this if I was an F3 user, is to be able to record S-log. Sony S-log is a good format, Really good format for oh, grading. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes, beautiful. Um, and and the you know, early tests, even the early tests out of the gate that they did at NAB last year, which were astounding. And let's just segue to ARRI for a second, because the thing that is the thing that makes an ARRI so frigging useful 
is that you can record a log signal even in their ProRes on-camera recording stuff. Yeah. Because the ProRes gives you sort of, okay, it's a compressed format, but because it's in log format, there's a heck of a lot you can do with it. Um, and I was I did an interview this week with a an American post house who did uh, a series of five really high-end car commercials, and they shot on the Alexa. Um, it was by the DP that shot Tron and... Uh, um, Benjamin Button, but they were basically saying, look, we shot uh, log but ProRes because it gave us everything we needed. We then transferred it to scene linear, referred open EXR files for the post yeah. pipeline. But quite frankly, it was so easy and so fast. And that's the Achilles heel of Red and it's the winning spot for Ari is just how much people love being able to have ProRes straight out of the camera in log format. I mean, let's mm. face it, like when all is said and done, I can argue with you that you should be on RAW because it'll be a higher resolution and that's true and I could argue a bunch of other stuff. All true, but what people love, what people are voting with their productions over is shooting in a standard video format, 1920 by 1080, not a special flavor, and in a log format that allows heaps of grading later on. And for tons of stuff, not major feature films, not stereo productions set in New York, but for major productions that are everything else great format just a really killer easy great format and the compressed thing reduces the data bandwidth that you've been talking about no you can't blow it up no it doesn't have the the advantages of a higher format yeah but a lot of people are saying it's enough for me yeah if you're not doing effects work if you know you're not going to need to the um, these guys were doing these five commercials things. i'm talking about were all yeah. heavy heavy effects work yeah and right. they said look yeah, it'd be nice to have it in RAW, yep. but it was a time thing. We didn't have a lot of time. We wanted to do test comps on set. It just worked for us doing it in a log format. I mean, Sony F3 with a log format is huge, and yep. it's what Ari is doing, and I think it's doing it really, really well. And I mean, like, didn't you say that you were talking to a colorist recently, and they were just saying... Yeah, I sort of, time to time, always get the, you know, give me the snapshot. Tell me what what... What's the percentage of what you're seeing through the door? Um, and he said, "Yeah, it's a it's a predominantly Alexa, um, and not raw." And it's a point that I'll bring predominantly up. Predominantly, it's a point I brought up with uh, with Ted, which you'll hear in the interview coming up, because we discussed that. Because a lot of the stuff I'm referring to is obviously not the feature film stuff, so it hits really hard in episodic television, which we talked to Ted about. Mm. Um, but in your case, in commercials. Um, but if I can segue that into just a general ARRI discussion, um, a little while ago, uh, ARRI came out with their um, Look uh, Creator. The ARRI Look Creator is a free app you can download from the uh, the store. I just thought I'd flag yeah. it because we haven't... Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we haven't mentioned it. Before. ...mentioned it, and it's mm. really, really great. But one of the reasons I want to mention it this week is that the um, it's starting to appear in various pieces of software which is, let me just run through what it is in case you're not so familiar with it. For those of you that are coming from a red background, this will be really familiar. Um, in red, for example, you can open up an R3D file and edit that using you know, Red Cine Pro X. And when you play with that, you don't destroy the file. You create more metadata and that sits in a um, dot, uh, .rdm file. That file is just sitting there in your hard drive as a bit of a metadata file right next to your R3Ds. And then, of course... Uh, that allows you to reopen the file and have the same look that you worked out last time. That's what this does. This is a look creator. You can open up, in this case, the moment, the current version, which I'm, I'm waiting on a new version. This process hasn't come out yet, but this will version open up, a say, a DPX, which will be taken from the 
log C format that I've been talking about. But interestingly, not at the moment the raw ARRI file. That yeah, is the, um, not ARRI raw. This has yeah. come from a converted file, a DPX converted from the ProRes. And so you'll open up your um, your ARRI file and look at it, and it has controls, maybe not as many as we're used to um, in Red Cine X Pro, but you can both work in terms of a color decision list or just in terms of adjusting uh, looks. You can then take that back into the camera if you want, and of course that would mean you would have a choice of then filming with that look, which would mean that what was recorded on your SYS cards or, for that matter, ARRI RAW had this baked in, or just having this look applied to your um, output. Uh, but also the other thing, as I said, why I'm mentioning this week is that we're starting to see this now in apps where you could do that in post mm. and then you open up the ARRI files and it reads that um, file that's been saved with the, uh, in other words, created post camera and allows you to uh, therefore, you know, import effectively yeah. that look as you bring the footage in uh, to your, you know, post-production box. But it's also going to or will work pre-camera as well, right, that you can shoot a clip, bring it into this app, set a look, and then put put that look into the camera? the camera. Yeah, and then as I say, you'd have a choice of that being baked in, so that's what's recorded on the SYS cards and the Or just raw. be a metadata file that the, the that's in the post quick, can read. Yeah, so and interestingly, that and it's a good point you brought that up actually, the, the look file is embedded in the metadata that's recorded as part of the QuickTime ProRes file, or in the ARRI uh, um, format. But the other thing you could do is you just put it out in the monitoring outputs, right? Just have it in a non-destructive way on the monitoring yeah, outputs, yeah. not baked in. Look, this is the way. And, and people, you know, I think that's a really valid way to work to be able to create a nice, interesting look and to be watching. Not that you're really going to affect much by that, but you want. it's really nice to just have Video Village or, or just for your own interest to kind of see the look that you have in mind play out in real in, in, in real time while you're while you're shooting it in the on the monitor without having to be locked into that, you know, without having it baked into your look because you might change your mind. Yeah. But it's good to sort of test it and have a think about it. Oh yeah, I quite like that. This is working and you get used to it. If you want to check out more Ari stuff rather than going through it all here, um, because we've already descended through a couple of uh, rat holes already, um FX Guide TV episode 135. We have a piece where I went and spoke to Stefan over at, um, he's the technical uh, yeah. services manager. Yeah. And we actually had a look at, uh, well, of course, we they won SciTech Awards for the, uh, the Prime Lenses. But we had a podcast about that. So I didn't cover that for too long. But then we had a look um, at the, uh, the studio. The studio. And the ARRI studio. But also the M, you know, the break apart into two bits. Right. Because there's only about one or two prototypes of these in the world. <laughs> well, which is what the case was at uh, No, that was, a, that was like a balsa wood fake Yeah, it looked thing. pretty wood. No, I actually held a real one in my hands. Okay. You have video of me actually holding it. Now, what I didn't do is pretty, power it, it up. It looks kind of, pretty. It's kind of interesting to see it because you kind of, it looks, it feel, it, it's kind of ele- ele- uh, epic form factor really, isn't it? If you okay, what I had Apart anticipated at NAB you, last year, yeah. Apart from the other half, exactly. What I had anticipated at NAB last year when we saw it is that if you break the Alexa in half for the two units, well, you then have to add on a new unit, yeah, uh, which is almost the size that you broke off to be the bit that runs down the fiber optic to cable the, to the other yeah, end, yeah. So the combined it. length of the M is more than the existing ARRI or ARRI Studio, yes. 
because the Alexa Studio because these extra bits for the cabling. That being said, yeah, if you're doing a stereo rig and you're up like a crane or whatever, this would be just awesome. Um, and I got to say, the other thing about this is uh, I was not not cynical about it, but I was curious because I wanted to hold this thing, obviously, but I was really curious to look through the optical viewfinder on the studio because yeah. you can't yeah. do that off the net. Yeah. And so we went over to Burbank and actually had a play with it. Now, the only slight problem we had when I was recording that is that we got um, bumped around a bit by another camera test that had to be rushed in that Friday afternoon. So uh, it's not a huge long piece on FX Guide TV, but I had a lot longer at Ari than you see here to just play with the gear while we were waiting for the interview. Right, um, yeah, we, just looking at it and looking at it and rolling it. Yeah, and so the optical viewfinder is good. I just don't know if I'd spend the money for it, to tell you the truth, Jace, would you? Well, there's still a lot of people who really like an optical viewfinder. Are they actually paying for the bugger, or are they just saying they would like it, but ignoring the cost? Because it's like, yes, I would like it, but not at any cost, is my point. I, look, I, I think there's a lot to be said for today's EVFs. I really, you know, I really, it's responsible for getting me back in behind the camera, really, uh, and letting me be able to direct a little bit more as well as shoot, being the ability to be able to do, to see what you see is what you get. And I guess you can do that with traditional, you can still, there's nothing stopping you putting another monitor on the top there and, and be your, you know, you, you can still judge all your, judge all your, um, you know, critical exposures off the, uh, off another monitor. But to be able to look through for critical focus, yeah, you, know, you just oh, it's nice. Don't get me wrong; it's really can't nice. Be beat, and there's a real connection. Whether that helps you with the scene or not, but there's a real connection in looking through an optical viewfinder to to really see the subtleties of, of what's going on. There's, I mean, today's monitors are really, really fantastic. But I don't know. I definitely would have a soft spot for it. I mean, I think it's it's probably more of a re- you know more of a rental item than the than the standard Alexa. And I'm sure they will rent them. They will sell them. They will do, you know, uh, uh, kudos to them that they are not going to, it's not something that they are going to make a lot of money out of. No. You know, they're maybe even just going to break even with these. But they're doing it because their customers have asked, have requested it time and time again. They've invested the time to be able to get these things out with with, with, with this optical viewfinder because it's been, it's been asked for. Hey, um, is After Earth... M9, is he oh, shooting yeah. on the Alexa or what's he shooting on? That is on F65. Because I saw a tweet from him this morning over my breakfast cereal saying he was a quarter of the way through filming. Yeah, so M9 Shyamalan is, uh, has been shooting for a little bit uh, in Costa Rica and I think he's now, I guess he's moving back to his, uh, maybe going to somewhere else, but they're, on, they're in transition to other location, maybe back to Philadelphia where he always shoots. <laughs> I'm sure he'll come back there eventually. I oh, so it, hope it's his first suck. digital feature. And it's uh, the first show on F65. I really hope this doesn't suck. I really hope this doesn't suck. His early films. This is like the Woody Allen phenomenon, <laughs> yeah, that's right? That's right. I like his I early, like funny, early films. funny films. Yeah. Particularly, we need the early him, films, particularly the funny ones. We need After Earth to be his Hannah and his sisters. Well, I think it's... Uh, I mean, I can, I can, I'm can. presuming from what I've seen behind a little bit behind the scenes and uh, from the title, I can only glean that it's post-apocalyptical or some and of course there'll be you know the usual Shyamalan twist I imagine so yeah, I'm really so looking can, forward uh, to it uh, Peter Sushitsky who shot Mars Tax Empire Strikes Back and a whole you know ton of a ton of stuff is, is shooting for 
for M Night. So it's there's a couple of reasons why this is really significant. I mean, not least of which is that Will Smith hasn't been in anything for ages. Is he in it? Yeah. And Jaden is in it, I think. Is it? Is J Lo. No, Jaden Smith isn't that his? Yeah, I'm sorry. Son, yeah, stroke Smith, daughter. Yeah. Just when you One said of it. them. No, you're absolutely right. Jaden Smith. It'd is be in interesting it. to interesting to to, to um, once they finish the production. It'd be interesting to uh, speak to them about it because they've been shooting in you know like jungles with rainstorms in Costa Rica, and you know the F65 not being you know the smallest of cameras. Yep. It'd be interesting to see how they. I mean, people work with this sort of stuff all the time. It's you know sort of in Genesis sort of form factor. Sure, you know, you have the crew as your backup, you, it, there's no issue with it. But it's uh, be interesting uh, uh, location camera choice. You know, it feels like it's more, more of a studio. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, type thing. But I look forward to it for, on many, I do, as you say, I look forward to it being a, a, a good film from him. Uh, I just look forward to it in general. I'd love to see the F-65 on the big screen, which we have seen already, but be good to see it outside of the constraints of a, of a camera test. Uh, first cameras are starting to be delivered here in Australia, so I'm, I'm sure people are starting to get their hands on their first cameras uh, around the world and in the States now, not outside of outside of a, um, a film shoot like this, which no doubt has the weight of yeah. Sony helping them to, to get this get this moving. I've got to say, like I like The Village, I liked Signs, I really liked Unbreakable, yep. and... Uh, yeah. And, of course, Sixth Sense. Was Sixth Sense great. is still completely but, watchable. Yeah, The Last Airbender, not so much. What did they shoot that on, then, if it's, this is his first digital film? What did they shoot Last Airbender on? Yeah, must shoot Last Airbender, which is largely, would have been a green screen shoot. Yeah, it was all Ari Cam. Right. Okay. Ari 345. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Ari Flex. Cool. I should say. Yeah, 35mm, in other words. Yep, 235. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I I just feel like um, yeah, you know, some people you're just rooting for. I know people have torn shreds off him, but I yeah, you know, somewhat unfairly, you know, I'd like him to have a good a good a good run. Yeah, yeah, no, I look forward to seeing it. Um, uh, so let's get over to Nikon News, and uh, Nikon mm. is uh, in play, as it were. Uh, they are in the game. In now. the game. Welcome so, back. Yeah. For uh, what three uh, about three thousand bucks, kind of. Yeah, Pretty interestingly, the one with actually less bits in it is more expensive. There's the D800 and the D800E, and we can talk about the difference between those. Uh, April, April, these are meant to be streeting, and 299 for the 800 and 33 for the D800E. Essentially, we're dealing with the same video specs as the Nikon D4, which we talked about, I think, last last episode. And I, again, touched on the fact that this was coming. And we talked about at that time that it was probably a little bit expensive um, for someone who's predominantly going to do video work. Um, mm-hmm. But we yeah. welcomed all the video changes to uh, the video side. And, yeah, standby for this camera. The, a replacement to the D700 is, is coming, which is here. So... Um, if it's a full, it's a full sensor, the FX sensor, which is their full frame sensor. I can't remember the data rate. I'm sure on the last episode I mentioned it, but that's uh, it's H264 MOVs uh, doing the usual 1080p at 24, 25, 30, etc., and then dropping down to 720p 
for uh, 50 and 60 frames a second. Okay, so we're recording this end of February. My bet is before NAB or at NAB, we have the 5D Mark III yep. Canon. Yep, I absolutely. Once we've done this, there the is bank. now. Yep. They're just going to have to. Yep. They will. It will be out. My bet will see the 5D Mark II and then the 5DX, that those two cameras splitting into two is is, is the strong rumours, that there's two parts to the 5D range. There's even a rumour that this is going to happen in uh, the end of February, not even uh, right. that. I'm not really cool. a big fan of the old rumour mill, but this is a pretty strong... Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I there's think a lot there of will people... be an announcement at the end of February, whether yep. that's this announcement, sure. I don't know, but February 27th, 28th, um, so if that happens, we'll pick it up obviously on the next uh, podcast. But the yeah. theory is that's when um, they'll announce. But it could be they're just announcing new lenses at that time. So I believe there's only a couple of limitations from this camera versus the D4, which is it still will do a clean 8-bit 422 HDMI output at 1080p. Though I think there is, a, although because they're not quite so much out in the wild, people haven't been able to test them yet. But the theory is that if you also want to record at the same time, if you want to dual record and record to your cards, that that clean HDMI output will drop down to 720p or will in some way become a little bit more hobbled just because the fact that it's having to record as well as give the clean output. That this clean 1080p 422 output really only happens when the camera is just acting as a throughput device and not actually trying to burn data to something. Uh, now, the D the 800E, I think, maybe, Mike, what do you think? But I'm thinking f- for video, you probably don't want this body. This is one someone who is doing, like, big landscape shooting with yeah. architecture, not necessarily yeah. architectural. You want something where you're not really going to be any danger of any more uh, or more creating... Um, uh, imagery in your frame but the difference is really getting into real pixel peeping now the difference between having that optical low pass filter and not is going to the payoff for having reduced moray effect on on fine detail is that you have a very slight de, uh, de-sharpening effect yeah yeah, look, I, I think low-pass filters are a really good thing. I think that... Uh, it's not a, low, it's it's not a light-loss thing. It's, no, this is a but I think it's a great image. thing. I think it's a dumb idea not to have low-pass filters, but I haven't seen actual footage to be able to make yeah. that as an... In, but Which, as a general statement? I it think, may make sense if you're you know dealing with the full whatever 30 million trillion megabits, megabyte, um, megapixel imagery at the end of this thing as a stills file. But when it's being reduced down to 1080 and... Uh, as we've talked about, not really through pixel binning, but through actually um, tra- transcoding it down to what 1080 from a 36 mega- megapixel image. You're going to... The difference at, a, at the end of a 1080p is going to be pretty minimal, I think, between the sh- in sharpness from having the low-pass filter, no low-pass filter. And you I've may end up you, having. Chase, I've got to tell you, and I mean no disrespect to Nikon here, but I'm so far into Canon camp oh, that I find look, it really absolutely. hard to devote vast amounts yep. of brain width to, because I just know that the mistake that Nikon made in taking so long yeah. to come out with this is they lost people. Lost they lost a lot of people. When when the five D came out, I had a lot of Nikon glass. I had a D. Uh, I can't remember what I had. D one hundred or something, and. Yeah, I dished it all and moved because I was waiting for them to do a 
to do a D700 or to yep. do a full frame camera with video, which they didn't, they never came up with. Uh, they came up with the D90, which was quite quite silly um, and wasn't full frame. So I think even this is for people, the last stalwarts of the press game who haven't moved over and have got a lot of glass, but are now being uh, have have fought being able to. Fort being asked to shoot video as as well as their stills assignments, and who can now finally uh, run off some some video. This is also for people who who, who knew people to the DSLR movement who do have that, but uh, you know there is a vast section of the market that's already gone, that's already jumped and already moved. Um, at the moment, though, this D eight hundred is ahead of the game in five D of the five D Mark II in terms of all its functions. You know, the, having headphones out, displaying audio levels, all of the things we touched on last episode. All of those little—it's still essentially a DSLR. There's still going to be pain. There's still going to be frustration. But um, this is look at the D eight hundred, and you'll see probably where a lot of the five D Mark III will be. Five D Mark III is not going to look like. It's not going to be epic like. It's not going to be. Yeah. It's not going to be anything. You know. It's not going to be an epic. Yeah. It's not going to be an epic. It's going to be five D Mark two two with better low no, low light. You know, see in the dark, low low high ISO performance, and with a lot of the um, a lot of the DSLR pain removed. But still, essentially, you're going to be working with a DSLR. So. The next big serious step from Canon will be uh, the EOS, the DSLR EOS. I I, I think NAB is going to be really interesting. Going to um, be really interesting, and I, from everybody, yeah. everybody is going to have something interesting. Everybody's going to have some interesting stuff, yeah. And, and, but I think once again, we're going to see, as we did last year, NAB being a really hot show for the camera manufacturers yeah. more than almost anybody else. Because I didn't see that. You saw the the backstory to NAB where it was more post and more, you know, and sort of post-production and video production. Cameras and, were just like nowhere because basically everyone was shooting on film or they were shooting broadcast and we didn't care yeah. about that because, you know, nobody shot on yeah. studio cameras for... You know, whatever. Unless and in the last three years, we've seen you know the completely oh, yeah. exponential. Didn't curve you say there's going to be? A, I don't know if you're allowed to say this, but there might be another shoot off. Are you allowed to talk about that? I don't know. No, yeah, no, we'll said it now. Yeah, that. there will be. Uh, <clears throat> well, we'll, we'll some some. There's kind a possibility of, that someone some might sort be, of shootout between cameras uh, might be. Hopefully, will be. But shown. there's a lot of stuff to be, be worth looking at, and uh, and uh, yeah, obviously we're going to be there, and I've been. Madly booking hotel rooms and stuff, sorting everything out. So uh, Jason and I will both be there, as will the rest of the crew from FX Guide. Actually, Jess, we're kind of running out of time, so we might want to cross over to our interview that I recorded uh, with Ted from Red in LA uh, last week, or the, just before last week, 10 days ago. Um, but maybe you want to set it up for people who don't know who Ted is? Yeah, Ted, uh, I think on his business card it says, Leave the rev- Leader of the Revolution. Uh, at Red Digital Cinema, he is the, I guess, key spokesman and the excellent, uh, the first person we go to when we want the State of the Union address from from Red, I guess. Real I think heads in, up in on any other company, might be called the Marketing and Sales Manager. Yeah, yeah, but, but they were obviously a senior. I think it was like employee number one. But he, yeah, obviously, if you've listened to this show before, he's been on many times, and he's a good friend of the show. And yeah. uh, and he has obviously it's been there since day one. This is not someone who's a uh, you know um, just a PR mouthpiece for Red. He was there at, at the beginning, and has a strong post and and on on set sort of background. Um, now we uh, know at NAB we're not going to have 
time probably to have an in-depth discussion about where the, where the product is placed and stuff. So what yeah. we thought we'd do is we'd do it in two takes. we do one with Ted now as a kind of a uh, look at the product, where it's at, um, philosophical sort of chat about the company, which, you know, quite yeah. frankly is stripped of hype. And yeah, then where they NAB, sit in the network, yeah, really. Exactly. Where they sit in the, in, the war, in the ecosystem. Now, I should say, this was recorded when uh, we were... You, you may hear a reference to this, but um, I don't know if we've edited it out, but uh, he's commenting on my cufflinks because we were getting ready to go to an award show. But this is all done um, uh, in LA with the sole purpose of, of not trying to be talking about product releases because we know we're going to have that discussion yep. in AB when they announce the new stuff. So there's no point wasting your time with that. What we want to do is have a a low hype barometer actual take on where Red thinks they're at and where they're at with delivery as well as just sitting in the market. You're entering the Red Room. Ted, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Mike, as always. So we want to sit down and have a bit of a quiet chat to you before we got to the heat of NAB. Okay. About... But before you start, you have to tell me about these cufflinks that are... Levelers. My, my, my daughters gave me these. Yeah, they're literally like if in doubt, I could stick my cuffling that on the camera. That is the most so. brilliant thing I've ever seen for formal wear. My, my tux is in the, uh, in the bag waiting to be changed. <laughs> so uh, at NAB, there's going to be a bunch of announcements, and I'm sure we'll grab you for five minutes to Absolutely. try and get those. But I wanted to do some of the other sort of maybe less uh, headline-y stuff mm-hmm. because uh, it's been a little while since we spoke. Yep. Um, and I guess the biggest question is when we were at the Scarlet launch at Red, uh, which was both kind of upsettingly complex and, in the end, very rewarding. Um, one of the things that uh, Jim said was, come January, wait a sec, February, we'll be out of back order on mm-hmm. stuff. So I guess that would be my lead thing. Like, where are you at? With I think we're about orders? a month off, which is okay. four months ahead of schedule based on every other thing that Red's <laughs> ever done, right? So I think, and actually was talking to the guys this morning about where we sit with delivering through the back order queue, and it kind of looks like, mid to late March is when we're going to target that. Um, so we're, you know, 45 days, give or take, uh, from where we want it to be. It's never a completely smooth road, but I think if you look at the linear progress of the company and all the products that we've delivered, yeah. this has probably been the smoothest rollout from the very first batch to mass production to fulfilling a lot of orders. There are a lot of Scarlet's leaving the factory every day now. And what about Epics that are, you know, Obviously not the uh, the M's, the X's. The X's, right. So we're we're cycling through the stage three customers now, um, and that's also in pretty heavy mass production. Uh, An Epic moves off the line about every 13 minutes. So kind of do the math. We have a lot of red customers uh, that were in that stage three program, but I think we're I think we're also probably, you know, I'm, I'm kind of guesstimating, but I would say 45 days also from completing that task and then moving into the stage four and new customers and all of that. So, we so we're, to, we're near term. Are we allowed to ask how many kind of epics and scarlets are out there in the marketplace? I mean, being used in production as well? Right. So, so as you know, we, we sort of avoid the direct answer strictly because our competitive universe out there is really curious about how successful we are. Um, kind of the proof is in the pudding. Everywhere you turn, uh, these, these cameras are being used. I mean, there was a huge percentage of commercials on the Super Bowl that was just this weekend um, that were shot on Epic. Like every other one, I'm sitting with my group and we're like, oh yeah, that's an Epic job, that's an Epic job. So we're in the multiple thousands on Epics and Scarlets. Um, I can't give you any more deep specifics than that, not because I don't want to, uh, just because of the, yeah. the competitive... Let's talk about that, because I think it's interesting, because 
it certainly seemed like, unlike Red One, the first adopters of the Epic were uh, features, not just any features, but very high-end features. Very much so. Principally, I guess, built around the compact size of the camera. Mm-hmm. Being second generation, they were obviously working well, and they were good for stereo. Yeah, um, I, think, I think the biggest thing, even more than the compact size of the camera, was the resolution of the image. So when you're talking about big feature films that are going through big effects pipelines and are going to be delivered to really big screens around the world, um, there effectively is no other true cinema choice, right? Their HD-level choices are well, that's slightly above that HD-level choices. I would have thought that the Red One being 4K, mm-hmm. um, this is 5K, if I was going to give you another reason why I thought, I would have actually thought it was the higher frame rate at higher resolution. Oh, you're probably right about that. I, I think it's probably a combination of that. Yeah. Um, I think just looking at the image fidelity that's coming off the, um, the Epics which is outpacing even the Red One by a full thousand lines of, of actual yep. measured resolution on the screen, is so jaw-dropping for these big filmmakers. When we bring them, you've been to our studio many times, you've seen that big yeah. movie screen. When we bring stuff in there, it's, it's interesting that the most advanced tool in the planet, on the planet up until the Epic actually already begun to take a, a second step backward. Now, we can sort of characterize that in an interesting way because, of course, Dragon Tattoo was shot primarily with Red Ones and some epics, right, at the end of their shooting schedule and reshoots. And I have to say, it does look good, that film. Because they did a 4K finish on it, yeah. and it is remarkably good. So yeah. it's interesting for me as marketing, sales, and the 27 yeah. other jobs that I do um, to make sure people realize that the Red One is still a remarkably amazing tool that's been used on so many big movies that are just cycling through the, the theaters now. But you can't be selling that many of them now, surely. Oddly enough, we still sell some. It's another thing. We were talking uh, with manufacturing this morning. I would think that at some point it would just be flatline, like it would be zero. Um, But because the the product is there and there are people that own many red ones and they want extra red one bodies, we still sell a few, you know, small numbers every month, but now it's really all Epics and Scarlets. I would put it to you that maybe that adoption you're seeing with the Super Bowl is also helped by the compact size because everything scales with the weight and the size of the camera. Maybe the stereo rigs, it's a really easy thing to imagine, but just on a normal shoot, um, you know, we have a red one, we have an Epic. I, I just know I go for like a smaller... Dolly, almost a smaller everything. Well, when, when we teach our education classes, our, our, we actually have one coming up at the end of this month. Um, what we talk about, we use a term called the, for the footprint of production. And when you take everything and just shrinky-dink it down, suddenly everything becomes easier, lighter weight. And from the grip truck on, everything gets yeah. scaled down two or three notches. Catering. If, if you could flip around and see what this camera rig that you're shooting me on this Epic, it's... It doesn't appear like this gigantic high-end piece of gear, even though it is the highest-end camera on the planet right now for shooting this stuff. It's on a very basic tripod and a very basic configuration with a Canon mount lens on it, and you're shooting interview stuff with it, but it could tomorrow be on the biggest feature in the world with a slightly different configuration. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And so if we've covered commercials a little bit and features, what about um, episodic television? Sure. So um, this is an interesting point, and this is kind of a good discussion point for us to get a little meat to this you know, sort of uh, logic point. I would say one of the things that if, we, if I had to be self-critical of, of where the company was with all the massive success, it's hard to sort of find the weakest points. I would say that we have done well in television, but we have not done exceedingly well in television. And I think it has very little to do with the camera 
it still has to do with a lot of misconceptions about post-production, which you and your classes and all the educating that you do and evangelizing you do are always breaking down those barriers and breaking down those myths. But I still talk to post-production supervisors every day that think they have to shoot on a lesser camera or an HD-style camera because they're concerned about post-workflow, and they feel like they have to have ProRes off the camera right away. And what we say is, if you give us 10 minutes, I don't need two hours of your time, I just need 10 minutes of your time to show you what the workflow is to pull high-res files using our Red Rocket card and turn them into any flavor of deliverable you want for TV so easily and with so much more refinement than starting with a baked-in video codec like ProRes, my bet is, if I have that 10 minutes, you will want to move over. You will be amazed. And you probably have similar discussions yeah, in here. I, I think also the new, um, especially the Red Gamma 3. But, right. Uh, and I'll know, the, touch on that too. Yeah, because yeah. that seems to be much more focused at that kind of episodic. Uh, it because is. you get a nicer, cleaner picture sort of straight out of the gate. Right. So that's, that's the second part of this, right? So there's the post part, which we know we're, we're tackling well and covered. It's just we need a few moments of people's time in the post side to say, here's how it works. And they go, oh, they get it. Now, that being said, there's a whole crop of shows in the U.S. I know there's some shows in Australia, too, that are shooting on Red Ones and Epics. But just off the top of my head, we have Southland shooting on Red Ones and Epics, an amazing show. Criminal Minds, which is a big, huge network yeah. show. I was just on their set this week. Uh, Justified, who um, Francis Kenny's the DP, is winning a big award at the ASC Awards. So this is Tuxedo Week. We'll all put our tuxedos on. Um, and there's a list of shows. You know, Leverage is still on, shooting on Reds, and, yeah. and a bunch of other shows. But I would say we, we need to do more in that front. We kind of really put a lot of energy and focus on the big high-end features, which was important to us and important to the, the world around us. Um, and now we're putting that same amount of effort into some of the TV workflow. And you mentioned it because you, you know it's coming, this next Red Gamma that Graham, our chief color scientist, has been working on called Red Gamma 3, which is designed for a very specific purpose. So in traveling around and visiting sets just like you do, with looking at some of the competitive cameras out there, we see that the onset image, whether that's on a 20-inch Panasonic display or a 42-inch plasma or something that a DP would have on the set, they, those other cameras have focused on really getting a very refined um, color temperature correct, flesh tone correct image on the set, right? Which, which ironically, as a post guy, I want more latitude, right. so it never bothered me. Exactly, but you're because you, right. you've evolved past it. And the TV shows that have evolved past it realize that shooting on a Red One or an Epic or a Scarlet is much more like shooting film than a video-style yeah. camera. And we never cared about what the video assist looked like. Sometimes the client did, and you would go tweak it and go, well, trust even me, then, it's going to be fine. You almost wanted it to be bad so they wouldn't judge it. Right. And there were times in my previous career where I'd be going, if you ask me one more time about flesh tones, I'm turning this monitor black and white. You do not need to worry about this on set. We have a professional DP. He knows what he's doing. But Which, that, that being said... And we always used to just say, don't worry about it. It's on the film. Right. It's on the net. And we say the same thing in the red world. Yeah. That being said, we do recognize that a lot of DPs and a lot of producers and post-professionals are looking for a little more refinement in their on-set experience. So we're just kind of bridging that gap with another gamma curve that will apply a little bit more of the best of both worlds, where Red Gamma 2 did it in spades, and we got a lot more of that latitude that you wanted, but we're still able to deliver a pretty picture on set. It wasn't as good as it could have been, and then Graham went back to the well and said, I can actually take another pass at it and get a really refined image on set that all the producers are going to love without sacrificing that, that latitude and that range. Well, and as is your sort of fundamental tenet, it's not baked in. Right. So it's you know, all we're completely just talking raw. about yeah, exactly. So 
We're talking about what it looks like to somebody to make them feel more comfortable. Right. But this is not what they're capturing in the sense of all they're getting. Correct. That's why we're like if you would talk to a guy like John Schwartzman who shot the Amazing Spider-Man, the new the new trailer is just out, so people can check it out. He completely concurs with you. He shoots the red and he shoots the epic just like film. He thinks about it just like film. Um, he wants the monitor to look good for the directors and the producers, but it's not the end-all, be-all. He knows that his picture is crafted in post-production after he set it up uh, while he's shooting. Another good example is Underworld, shot by a DP named Scott Kevin, who uh, we had Ziggy, the um, grading artist from Company 3, over at our studio last week, and we did a workflow event where they brought about 10 clips of the movie, and they brought various stages. It was a shame that you couldn't have been there because it is totally up your alley. Uh, okay, I'm just going <laughs> to top you there by saying yesterday we were over at uh, Paul DeBevick's place uh-huh. uh, where they did the, the scanning captures, yep. and he had a detailed discussion about because they brought over a bunch of epics to shoot in the light stage. Right, yeah, in their stage. So yeah. I, I, uh, I geeked out slightly further up the chain. <laughs> it's um, awesome. But I would have liked to have been there for that. And, but it was fantastic because Ziggy was just completely open about his process. He didn't guard anything. We brought a whole bunch of people into the studio, working professionals, and said, tonight's a different kind of night. It's not about marketing. It's not about selling cameras. If you want to see what Red does, just go to the movies, right? It's about talking about logical workflow. And the ability to put up the raw footage and show how much ability a really high-end grading artist has to tool that exactly how the producers and the DPs wanted was something that fundamentally looks completely different on set than their end goal. Cool and icy in the end goal, and essentially a very normal kind of photography at the beginning where he's capturing all that latitude because the DP and the colorist are working hand-in-hand to ensure that they get the look they want. So they, they went from maximum exposure range and what we call the thickest possible negative, yeah. and then with the knowledge they were going to be able to tool that down and get exactly the look they wanted. And what they achieve is essentially images for close to two hours on screen that are completely noise-free. I'm not talking about a little noise. I'm talking about zero noise. In an image, Underworld is all dark, right? It's black on black on black, image on on image. You would think, okay, well, maybe you're going to pick up a little bit of noise when you shoot something that's that dark, regardless of how good the camera is. It is so stellar clean that it's sort of a whole new breed of movie making. And uh, it's stereo. And it's stereo, right. And so there are issues that could have come in with the mirrors and stuff. Yeah, um, and they talked all about how they worked through that and knew exactly where the temperature changes would be and the exposure differences would be and ensured that they got a really robust negative so that Siggy and his team could essentially do anything they wanted with that image. As you well know, when you get really good exposed stuff, it's like, we can do anything we want with this. Yeah, well, the other thing that uh, Paul DeBevick's team did, which you've never done, is I think uh, he, those guys timed out your rolling shutter. Oh, compared wow. Red One to Epic. Yeah. Now, they're not the manufacturer, but they were highly complimentary yeah. about how much better that shutter was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the work that they're doing in Underworld, they needed to do that because they were doing, obviously, the advanced light stage capture Absolutely. stuff for the uh, transformations. Well, look, f- we are going to... Keep- catch up with you at NAB. Is there going to be a booth? What's the deal this year? There's going to be a booth. A yep. variation of things over yep. the years. We're, we're in the discussion and meeting about what we do. Everything tends to be in this crazy suit, but we definitely have a space at NAB. I think it's relatively in the same spot we were last time right. in that lower and south And I understand hall. this year you're taking your shirt off and getting your back tattooed. Is that right? Um, we're thinking about live fire this year. Okay. You know, we got the tattoo thing last year and we can see how far we can push it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't know what we're going to do in terms of the, the, the show and tell, although what... I think as a, as a kind of a good takeaway for a month or a month and a half before NAB, wherever we, wherever we sit now when people watch this, um, I think a good message is that we're growing and maturing as a company. So you're still going to see some fun stuff from Red, 
um, because that's who we are as a culture. But it's also important for people to know these cameras are shipping in mass. They are working in every state of the industry um, as a very mainstream tool now. And we want customers to know that this is a, a stable, refined piece of gear that isn't the red one of the first six months of the company where it was a work in, a real work in progress, right? Now, these days, when I talk to the gang at Red and we're all sort of going around stuff, there are projects that enter our field of view after they're shot with no issues whatsoever. You know, huge, huge projects, $100 million plus projects. And we're like, they didn't call us, they didn't ask for anything, they just got their epics, they were happy shooting and, you know, firing away and everything was good. I just got a word back from a buddy of mine who was just in the Antarctic with five epics wow. for 45 days. You talk about a tough shoot. Zero problems the entire time. And we thought, you know, if any place where you're going to have issues, you're yeah. going to have issues there. Um, he said it was literally, and he shoots in extreme conditions all the time, he said it was literally the most stable shooting environment he'd ever had with any camera. And this guy is a veteran of 25 years of shooting. So that's good news for all of our customers. Well, thank you so much for taking time to sit down My tonight. Pleasure. And we'll grab you at NAB to Absolutely. hear about uh, the... All the new fun stuff. Yeah. And I'll probably grab you at NAB too. We might turn the tables and I may do it. We're going to experiment with some different kind of uh, stuff at NAB. So uh, okay. maybe I'll talk to you about what you're up to at NAB this year. Who knows? Thanks. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, thank you, Ted, for taking the time always very very generous to having a chat with us i know you're we are not the only people wanting to uh, a piece of your time but we really appreciate the sort of honest appraisal of uh, of red where they are and the interesting thing is um obviously we're talking to ari we're talking to red uh and sony and we're trying to talk to all the camera companies i say we had a long chat with canon um which was great i really appreciated uh canon having such a long technical chat with me um uh at uh at the uh, open house, but I will obviously have a lot more more newsy stuff, as I said at the uh, outset, coming up. Uh, Should I actually try and sort of balance that up as well? Maybe I might have a try and have a good chat with some somebody at Sony maybe before uh, NAB because I think that'll be in the same deal there. Yep. For, for them, they'll they'll no doubt have announcements, which obviously they won't be able to talk about now, but they'll be able to give us a state of the union where they are with F sixty fives and and um, and you know uh, going down the chain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, I think we've kind of run our course on this show. Um, we've caught up uh, well. Um, yeah. We uh, have a couple of things we like to do on the show, which is, of course, our Twitter shout-out and also uh, any sort of blog shout-outs which you've come to affectionately love. Um, mm. I mentioned that I was picking up on production uh, that had been happening um, on Twitter with After Earth. So I guess we should – can we maybe suggest – Yes, I think M Knight's Twitter feed. In fact, I was trying to find the other link because he's on he's on Twitter, but he's also on this new kind of weird sort of Twitterish blogish kind of what's that thing? Uh, well, let's go to his Twitter feed, which is you his me full if name. There's another social media thing. There that is. Set up? There is. Um, kind of so his his Twitter feed is, funnily enough, M Knight Shyamalan. Uh, and it's a good time to talk. He's, he's one, a lot of people on Twitter. You can kind of feel that they that it's not them doing it. It's just their PR handlers, or they're farming it all off to some sort of third party, and it's all sort of at hand at arm's length. But um, uh, M is really 
um, seems to be doing these tweets himself. Actually, it's funny uh, that he's doing it from set. Um, I was going to say, he's really quite honest. The ones from having, on set are really interesting. Yeah, he seems to be having a good time doing it and having. I know that when I'm on set, I just kind of like I just shut down. I can't do anything other than what I'm, you know, what I'm focusing on. And then in the end, when I wrap, it's like a whole rapid fire sort of blurt of of post um, post shoot tweets. But uh, you know, he's doing a lot of tweets as he goes, which is good. And he's in the middle of a production, and it's all very interesting. So yeah, worth worth. Worth a follow. Uh, his other... Um so, so I just going to say, somebody else that did that, when uh, Tom Hanks was shooting uh, that film with Julia Roberts that he was directing, the, was had him on the moped, you know, the scooter thing, whatever it was called. It was like went back to school education thing. It didn't go particularly well at the box office. But I remember when he was filming, he was tweeting all the time and doing iPhone pics from set. And it was actually a really good kind of behind-the-scenes look at what was going on. Right. Okay. I like it when people do that. Yeah, no, I think it's... I, I like it when they're honest, you know, when yeah. you can really feel that this is the real person doing it and it's really just not some sort of uh, bullshit bullshit PR exercise. They're actually doing it because they actually want to share. <laughs> there was one comment that he made because they had a lot of, uh, in Costa Rica, like actually dangerous things like spiders and snakes and stuff. And there was one uh, poisonous snake that basically came on set onto the monitor and he he tweeted that uh, he was so writing a drama that takes place in a four seasons next uh, next time out. <laughs> he's literally got these shots from one set of like poisonous spiders, and I mean they're, they're friggin' enormous things, like the size of your fist. Um, that uh, somebody, uh, yeah, he I think he joked that if he'd seen that, he would have screamed like a girl had he seen it first. But yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yep. No, there's a lot of, and it looks like there's. Um, I'm gonna try and find this other social network thing for him. I'll put it in the show notes because I can't find it right now. But it's some some weird sort of new new version of some some sort of Twitter esque thing. Uh, maybe even mnightshamalone dot com. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get the link and put it put it in the show notes. But it's uh, there's a little bit more content in there from him with photos and, and videos and things. A little bit more outside the Twitter for him, but uh, you're yeah. not talking what, about his whosay dot com, are you? Whosay. That's what it is. Ah, if you told me that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that's... Um, you actually can link to that from his uh, Twitter account. But yeah, so on whosay.com, ah, okay. he has a, a thing and that has the videos and stuff that you're referring to. Of course, right. the videos are like, you know, suitably freaky shots of snakes that are exactly the same as his Twitter feed. So yeah, get one, you get the other. But anyway. Yeah. And I just want to do a little quick little uh, shout out for uh, a project a friend of mine's involved in, which is makeafilmfoundation.org. And this is uh, Paul Ellington, who's a cinematographer and fan of the show. And he's uh, just helping out with a foundation, which is helping make make little movies or helping kids to make movies uh, with terminal illness and them to do, I guess, a little, um, I guess, a, a nice little... Um, a legacy film, I guess, for, from for from them, from the heart, made by them. So um, that is makeafilmfoundation.org and uh, worth a look or a donate or see if you can help in any way. And thanks to uh, Paul for bringing that to my attention. Yeah, I'm just going to do uh, one cross-promotion if I can. Over on FX Guide TV number 136, we have an interview I did with John Knoll uh, on the stereo conversion of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Actually, most of that discussion is just his general principles on stereo, stereo conversion, shooting stereo. Um, he discusses other people's films, other studios' uh, work, as well as his experiences off Avatar. 
And if you're a fan of this podcast, you're probably going to be pretty interested in his views on stereo. Mm. Uh, John Knoll, obviously, incredibly senior ILM Visual Effects Supervisor, Academy Award winner, but it was just a great chat. And uh, I don't want to sort of toot my own horn, but it wasn't me that made it a great chat. It was him that made it a great chat. And uh, if you want to have a really quite a you know serious kind of discussion about um, uh, about the tech of stereo and the issues from his point of view and you know considerations whether they went took rango to stereo or not and yeah what they did to determine that um that's over on fx guide at uh, fx guide tv's number 36 excellent and i'm also plugged because i've got it um <laughs> our number 109 or sorry 209 our 209th episode of the fx podcast is a oscar special we did um on uh uh, all the VFX films that were nominated for the Academy Award. Um, so depending on when you're hearing this, this has just been announced or is just about to be announced. Um, and that is uh, all the five five nominees from each of the five nominated films in the category of special visual effects discussing not only uh, the films, but what they think of each other's films, which is kind of fun. Excellent. Sponsored by our friends over at SideFX Software. Excellent. Who have, in fact, sponsored this show, as you heard at the top of the show. Cool. Well, Jace, that's it for this week. Thanks, mate. Good to get back. Uh, get, get, good to get back together after a while. Sorry for the delay, guys. We'll try and keep that uh, to a minimum. But you know, we are uh, we're working rather than, <laughs> rather than just sitting around talking about this stuff. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. I'm Mike Seymour. Until next time, see you guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.